The Rappaport Diamond Podcast is brought to you by Rappaport Academy, your e-learning course for successful diamond trading. Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, the podcast to polish your knowledge. With the important fourth quarter upon us, now seems like a good time to talk about China and Hong Kong. With a good first half under their belt, it appears that storm clouds are brewing on the horizon for these Far East markets. Escalating trade conflicts with Washington have led to some concern that first half profits could lead to second half weakness. We'll also discuss the Signet and Tiffany results announcements and what it could mean for the U.S. market heading into the all-important holiday shopping season. What could rosy reports from both major brands mean for these holidays? Joining me today in the studio is Rappaport's editorial team. Here with us is Rappaport's editor-in-chief, Sonia Esther-Sultani. So, Sonia, do you have any good plans for the holidays? Well, the holiday for us starts a bit earlier because our office is going to be closed for the Jewish holidays in September. Um, I'll be doing a lot of cooking. I'm turning into a Yiddish term that's called a balabusta. So, honey cake, everything with honey and apple. It sounds delicious. I might have some leftovers for the office. (laughs) Well, uh, that's something to look forward to. Also here is Rappaport Senior Analyst Avi Kravitz. So Avi, how about your holidays? Anything good? Um, I'm planning to do a lot of eating. So Sonia, thanks for the <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the leftovers. But generally, uh, the holiday uh, period in uh, in Israel is is it tends to be a lot of sleeping, family time, and and eating. So I'm looking forward to that. And joining us, Rappaport publisher John Costello. So, are you looking forward to the holidays, John? Yes, um, I was home in Ireland recently and I got myself a nice bottle of whiskey that should get me over the holiday period and and family dinners quite nicely. (laughs) It's good to be prepared. So, John, Avi, I know that you guys are going to the Hong Kong show and I know we've been hearing a lot of rumbling in the jewellery sector about the looming threat of a trade war between the US and China. According to reports on Diamonds.net, Chow Sang Sang has already released a warning that trade tensions could have an impact on the rest of its 2018 earnings. Do you think other brands could soon be following suit, giving such warnings? Well, that's a big question. And um, the contrast that we saw in Chow Sang Sang's um, results were, were the interesting bit because they had a very good first half of the year. Their sales and their, their profits were up significantly. And then within their report, which was quite detailed, they expressed some concern about um, the effects of the trade war and the currency depreciation that it'll have on their sales in in Hong Kong and China. And I think that's that's kind of the question that people, a lot of the, the trade is going to the Hong Kong show with is um, what is the state of the Far East market in this climate, that, uh, this crazy climate that we've been involved in the last um, few months between the US and, and China. And the big question for the retailers is what effect will the weaker uh, yuan or rimbi have on tourist spending in places like Hong Kong because they're coming with their Chinese currency and they, they're spending um, in Hong Kong dollars. So their spending power is effectively lower than it used to be. And it's not only in Hong Kong, but it's also in places like New York and London where a lot of the Chinese shopping, um, tourist shopping um, has an effect on sales. So it's interesting that jewellery isn't even in the crosshairs and yet the industry is still already sensing a potential impact 
Sonia, what kind of consumers might be impacted by the lower value of Chinese currency? I think that's something we discussed a lot about um, Chinese millennials and Gen Z being in love with luxury products. So that could be the the first ones that will be affected by by this depreciation. But it seems like a lot of the, still the high-end luxury houses are quite optimistic and they're still spending and they still, you know, certainly will shop in Paris and London. And you see shops like um, high-end shops like Pomelato, which is an Italian brand owned by Caring. They've just opened in Los Angeles and they said that one of their main target will actually be the tourists, certainly the Asian tourists coming to Los Angeles. So I think there's still hope that this situation will not affect luxury shoppers so much. Yeah, I think... You know, the industry is obviously a bit jittery. It's come out of a long period of poor performance, but we've been in a relative uh, period of stable uh, diamond prices and uh, a fairly robust and stable uh, global economy. So I think that the background to this um a little bit of anxiousness in the Far East markets is still pretty solid. Um, the American economy is still doing well. Our Western Europe is still relatively strong. So I think there's... As Sonia pointed out, there is still overarching confidence uh, in the medium term. What will play out will be very interesting. It'll be very interesting to see how Hong Kong uh, does. It's kind of a bellwether for the industry, obviously, especially in the lead up to uh, Christmas, the, the the big holiday season in the West. So it's it's going to be very interesting. But I'd, I'd be relatively optimistic uh, that the industry still has its, the jitters, but I think uh, we might see uh, good indicators coming. So what would a successful Hong Kong show mean for the industry? Well, look, I think, as I said, we've had a sustained period of relative stability. Um, but obviously, everyone in the industry, we don't want to, to, flat, to flatline. We want to see growth and we want to see optimistic. And there's been cautious um, optimism uh, spreading around over the over the last number of months. But I think a good Hong Kong show sets up the industry very well for uh, the December period of holidays and, uh, you know, lifts us in a more buoyant kind of way uh, rather than just kind of ticking along, which the industry... I, I, I think everyone was just so happy that the, the negative growth that we'd seen kind of has come to somewhat of an end over the, the last uh, number of months. And really, a good Hong Kong will hopefully lift the industry up and, and, and we'll start experiencing a, a kind of upward trajectory. Yeah, and also I think it's, uh, you know, July and August, it's um, are traditionally slower months. And so a, a good Hong Kong show will really sort of wake the industry up, you know, lift it from its summer slumber, so to speak. You know, there's already, because of the summer, this um, kind of slow momentum and a wait-and-see attitude to to what's going to be in the fourth quarter. Um, and uh, the Hong Kong show is supposed to sort of shake the, the industry out of that um, that mindset. So that's interesting because there was other big retail news that came out actually across the ocean in the U.S. Both Signet and Tiffany announced positive results from their second quarter sales. And the good news has been especially important for Signet, of course, who uh, are currently trying to dig themselves out of, what, approximately $31 million uh, of losses this year. So, I mean, do you think the Signet and Tiffany uh, announcements have any implications for the industry? Look, I think there's a phrase called lies, damn lies, and statistics. And I, I think we have to be careful. Um, it's been a very difficult and, and rocky journey uh, for Signet. And the pressure's on. They've made very dramatic and drastic changes. And I really admire the way the, the new CEO is, is, is trying to drag them out of this difficult period. But really, we have to wait and see. It's it's too short term. It's uh, over short 
for a very short period that they see a percentage or so in growth overall. They're expecting a negative result for the year or at least to, to break even. But uh, I, I do think they really want to do a good PR job and, and, and show results to the shareholders and, and the market. But I, I think we need to wait a little bit longer. I do believe they're following the right strategy. But the time will only tell whether it actually uh, proves uh, and turns turns the company around and, and takes it out of a very big financial hole. Well, they gave a, a fairly positive um, outlook for, for the rest of the year. They increased their um, their sales and earnings guidance for, for the fourth quarter, which is an important indicator. Um, so they gave a very positive um, message to the market, which I don't think is necessarily just um, a spin. I think they have to give a guidance um, in accordance with their, the rules that um, as a public as a public company. So, I think there's a lot there's a lot of positive to take off for the short term from both um, Signet and Tiffany. I thought their their second quarter results were were quite encouraging, actually. I think what's interesting is to see how the the breakdown of the results is a Signet that James Allen, which is the online more, you know, appealing to millennials, more techie savvy. It's actually the one that performed the best compared to K's or more, you know, mom and pop type of stores. So, and also I think when you speak about Signet and Tiffany, you have Tiffany, which is a brand, you know, which appeals to millennials that did a fantastic campaign. The paper flowers, I think, was credited for bringing the good results, the new collection by um, Reed Krakow. So you have, you know, this kind of more glamorous and very visible side to it that appeals to different customers. And Signet, I think when you, you break down, you know, you have to see that the results are not so good within the different, um, they're, they're getting better, but not for, you know, all the different arms they have within the Signet, under the Signet umbrella. Yeah, and I think it's definitely a, a tale of two companies. Um Avi's looking at half uh, glass, half full. I'm a little bit more uh, glass, half empty with regards to Signet, but I have great hope that it will come good. I think Tiffany is a different story. Tiffany went through a very rough time about two years uh, or more uh, ago with millennials. Uh, millennials just saw it as a very kind of a stuffy old world type of brand. They've totally transformed their perception within the millennial mindset. Uh, they've reconfigured their stores. They've gone omni-channel and they've really transformed uh, the company. And I think Tiffany is where Signet hopefully will be at in another year or two, but it's going to take Signet that time and, and not to rely on James Allen so much, but if Signet want to turn around their legacy store network, it's going to take a lot of work. Tiffany has done that. Uh, they've redeveloped their stores. I think they have either just finished or were in the process of redeveloping their New York store, but they definitely have shifted the opinion of a, of a key demographic, which is the millennials, and, and they've really uh, seem to have, have, have really produced the goods in terms terms of uh, communicating in a meaningful way to that market segment. Yeah, I think we've got to be careful not to compare the two companies too much because they are different. Mm-hmm. Um, they're different animals in in um, different segments of the market. Signet is a more it's a broader brand, let's say, with the K jewelers and Zale, and um, you know they have Piercing Pagoda and. Um, and so they're, they're appealing to a, a broader um, spectrum of, of the U.S. consumer. And Tiffany is a more international brand, truth be told. But I think on both John and, and Sonia's points, that to me it feels that both companies are more prepared than previous years for the holiday season. They're much more aware of the, the trends that are shaping the market by millennials and or, or developing effective omnichannel programs that would um, encourage growth. 
um, for the holiday season. Yeah, and I think the boat companies, as Avi's highlighted, are really leading lights for everyone in the industry. Forget about results. Results take time to kick into gear. But in terms of what they're doing, the strategies they're, they're following, everyone in the industry should be watching this and learning from it, whether it's a mom-and-pop store or, you know, a small uh, regional network or chain or even some uh, bigger companies. There's a lot to learn in the, the strategies. And even though they are targeting different markets, definitely much more niche, um, uh, signal much more the store for the every man, every woman. Um, but the, the strategies they're, they're following are, are very enlightened and, and there's a definitely a similarity between the, the two of them. And they're really focused on the reality we're facing now, which is change. Uh, there's a demographic shift. We have to uh, look to the millennials and, and Generation Z if we're to be a sustainable industry going forward. Also, technology is changing the way we communicate through social media. And both Signet and Tiffany's are on this and, and really uh, pivoting their whole businesses to maximize the chance of success. So, I mean, these big brands are, are taking it in hand to become more tech savvy, to become more appealing to millennials. Are we seeing a piggyback effect? Are there smaller stores and smaller brands that have been able to capitalize on some of these same techniques and thoughts? I mean, I, I feel like I bang the same thing every single issue, but the little shops, the st- independents who are on social media, on Instagram, they have a beautiful feed that actually appeal to the community for sure. They get their customers in. There's no secret to that, I think. You know, the same way as Tiffany has found the right brand ambassador, when you see Al Fanning, the people that actually, you know, put their the cool jewelry on and it's actually no brand science, you know? I, th- I think the independents actually have an advantage over over those bigger brands, being able to communicate as a community jeweler and develop a more personal connection with their customers, with their th- these families that are in their communities, um, I think it's much more effective actually. And uh, I think the, you know, the top independents um, have what to gain in this environment. Have you heard about the Rappaport Research Report? If you haven't, then you're missing out on the latest data report from the Rappaport team. Did you know that more than 80% of SI Clarity Diamonds in the 50-pointer category listed on RapNet in October 2017 sold within three months? Or that listings of three-carat diamonds jumped 30% on average across all categories in Antwerp this February? With the Rappaport Research Report, you can get valuable and actionable data to make smart, savvy investments and start increasing your profit margins. Don't get left behind. Subscribe to the Rappaport Research Report today to get business intelligence for the diamond industry. So to tie it all together a little bit, do we think that the trade war between China and the U.S. could have an impact on the U.S. holiday season? We spoke to a lot of uh, manufacturers and retailers for the October issue of Rappaport magazine, asking them about how is the holiday season going to be. So, for example... The vice president of operations at RDI Diamonds told us that he didn't think the tariff war had any impact. They're very optimistic. You know, the orders have been good and it seems like it doesn't affect the diamond industry yet. So most of the people we actually spoke to, retailers, manufacturers from the associations as well, they seem to think that that hasn't affected them and they're very optimistic about about this specific season. I don't know if you heard anything else, John or Ivy, but that's, that's the feedback we got at this stage of the year. 
I wouldn't expect it to have a, have an impact on the U.S. I think it's more of a concern in in China and Hong Kong. Um, where it could impact the United States is at a you know the Tiffany store on Fifth Avenue relies on a lot of tourist um, shoppers, especially over the holiday season. I'm I'm not clear on what percentage are coming from the east, but um, maybe there would be a, an an impact on on tourist spending at those higher end luxury brands. Yeah, I think from what we're hearing, Daphne, uh, is that while there is there's not expected to be a direct impact uh, on the diamond industry, but as Avi alluded to, it's the broader economic impact um, of Far East countries that are suffering under this trade war. And then that just caused the economic fallout from that. While it doesn't affect the diamond industry directly, um, it tightens up spending in those economies and uh, people are just much more frugal with where they spend their money. And that can have an, a wider economic impact on our industry. So I understand that tourist spending is a big part of Tiffany's sales strategy for the holidays. What kind of things does Tiffany rely on during the holiday season to make up its year? It's not just Tiffany. I think if we're speaking about independent jurors, they actually rely 20 to 30 percent of their revenues of the whole year happens during the holiday season. And um, most of them will tell you that they sell a lot between the $500,000 mark, fashion jewelry, fine jewelry, gift, self-purchasing, but, you know, if you want to actually they make many, many more sales for engagement rings because, you know, it's the holiday season, you're with your family, you can take time to propose, you might be lucky have an end of your bonus that you want to spend on, you know, your beloved. And, you know, people will spend maybe $5,000, $10,000 on the engagement ring. So that's actually a good season domestically for, for the independent jurors to push the specific market of the, the bridal even if the big campaigns, I think, are more usually the, the fashion and accessories and fine jewelry. Yeah, and we know that uh, De Beers is, is going to continue with its um, focus on female self-purchasing for their holiday campaign and that the Diamond Producers Association is also looking at a similar similar angle. I guess almost taking um, t- taking for granted the uh, the engagement ring purchase. Um, I think uh, De Beers hinted that they're going to be returning to that bridal theme um, next year. But uh, there is definitely a push towards um, towards fashion jewellery. Um, and of course, they're also going to be introducing uh, Lightbox, um, their, their lab-grown um, collection. Um, so by the time we come to our next podcast, we'll be able to talk about that actual launch, I, w- I would expect. How many 15-year-olds go to disposable diamonds? <laughs> for, for $800 a carat. <laughs> Is there any concern in the industry about the uh, the rise of Lightbox, especially this holiday season? I think there's a lot of question marks and unknowns, like really how much are the beers going to pivot and put behind this new brand, um, how consumers um, are going to engage with it. But I, I think the real unknown... And I think it will be a success for the beers. I think the price point is good. I think they're going after a very specific market. But the impact on the wider synthetic market, that's the big question. You know, the beers aren't touching the engagement ring market and they're doing like kind of a a fun uh, fashion jewelry type of pitch with this. But it's going to be interesting on how that price point affects the synthetic market at large. And... uh, is this a badge of legitimacy um, that uh, will reflect well on the synthetic industry or will the synthetic industry at large be undermined by the low price point that the beers are offering, even though it's a different category? So there's a lot of ifs and buts and, and question marks hanging in the air. 
So who's the next to to get on those synthetics bandwagon? Do we think that we're going to see other big brands doing it? Yeah, I I, th- I think that um, in the next year or two we'll see a major retailers coming on board, um, possibly in partnership with De Beers when they roll out box arts to um, in-store re- retailers. They they're starting off online only. And in fact, uh, the the question was asked to Gina um, Adrosos, the the CEO of Signet, if they, you know, what her thoughts were about um, lab grown in in general. And she didn't give an emphatic no. In fact, she was quite um, open about the the possibility that Signet might carry um, a lab grown diamond line in the future, if in quotes um, the consumer their customers demand it. So, I would say um, watch the space. I think what was interesting is that in this um, uh, transcript, she was actually following the De Beers line that the natural diamond is for the special pieces and, you know, lab grown could be potentially interesting for fashion jewelry. Yeah, the, the, the language was very similar to, to the De Beers language. If you so didn't know who was speaking, <laughs> you could think that was. <laughs> so so I, would, um, I would not be surprised if in the next year or so we, we see some partnership between the two companies, which we've seen in the past. You know, we've seen marketing ca- joint marketing campaigns between Signet and De Beers with their Everest um, two-stone ring campaign. We know that uh, Signet is, invo- is um, participating in the De Beers Tracer um, blockchain program. Um, so there's a lot of um, collaboration that those two companies, as two of the biggest um, diamond and jewelry companies out there, can and will do together. So, so I think there's what to look out for between those two, those two devils. And I think, I think as well, like <laughs> as we come up to the quarter four and the end of quarter four and the holiday period, it's actually also going to be a time of reflection, not just about synthetics in the industry, but also about trade shows. And as the Hong Kong trade show passes, I think people after this, they have seen what has happened in Basel world. Uh, JCK is moving back home to the Sands uh, Hotel um, in, in Vegas. I'm so, welcoming that move big time. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what is the status of the trade show also at the end of this year and uh, will it still be the big beast that's been in the past, um, uh, Hong Kong and, and JCK, and also to, to see Basel World and also the new entrance into the um, into the equation that we've seen pop up in Europe as well, from Card Plus to Jem uh, Genève. Uh, so it's an interesting time. Do you think there's any possibility that some of the concerns of the industry around synthetic diamonds may actually be solved by Lightbox and by these large brands? Um, you know, becoming involved in the synthetics. To me, it looks like a, possibly these entry-level diamonds will l- lead to more taste, possibly as a way to get people involved in buying diamonds, and then later on in life when they have more funds to buy mined diamonds, that they'll move on to the, the higher, more uh, luxurious items. Well, I wish they would use that as a marketing um, tool, as, uh, you know, why not sell a lab-grown diamond as a stepping stone to a natural diamond? But so we've, we've a, never really... A, a gateway drug. Well, well we've, <laughs> never, we've never really seen it sold in that, in that, in that manner. Um, you know, which I which I always thought would 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 make sense, um, but it's it's really seen the natural diamond companies that are going into the space are, are very careful to market it as a different product. You know, it's a, it's a different category, um, whereas the 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 lab grown companies are 
trying to market it as a competing product. But I think you've hit the nail on the head there, um, David, in that, uh, you know, why not have it as a compliment? That right. it, it seems, that it should it seems be, like it's naturally symbiotic, yeah, actually. B- it's buy funny. this one, and then when you're ready to afford a natural, beautiful um, diamond, that should be your, your, your next purchase, you know. Sonia, you disagree? No, I was just saying that at the moment, the prices of lab-grown diamonds are not so much cheaper than the natural stones that it, we're talking about 20%, 10% yeah, sometimes? Well, um, I well, think it's that, more 20, 20 to 30%. Um, but that's what Lightbox is supposed to redress, right? It's the fact that these diamonds are so closely marketed in terms of price point and even in, in general strategy. But again, if you drop the price on them, it seems like there's a natural complement there, right? You, you buy a... Uh, lab-grown stone when you're looking for a gift for your 15-year-old daughter, you get her a synthetic stone. But when she's a little older and she's going out and shopping for herself and she's looking for something luxurious to buy to treat herself to, there's, you know, there's natural diamonds, which are... And then she will realize the price of blue and pink diamonds, natural ones, and (laughs) she will realize that it's a bit out of reach. (laughs) Yeah, I I think the the big question here, and and no one knows the answer to this, and this is why companies like the beers who have their feet in both uh, camps are being very cautious of how they're marketing it. But it's really the consumer at the end will, will make the decision and will lead the industry. And the question is, if they do start buying lightbox uh, synthetic diamonds, will they appreciate the added, I suppose, uh, billion-year story that a mine diamond brings, where to look at, they're almost identical, um, but they're, they're cheaper. But will they appreciate that mystique and place a value on that um, or you know the big worry for natural diamonds uh, is that well, they look at it it's it's as pretty it's impossible really to tell the difference so I'm just going to go with synthetics from now on uh, especially as, as Sonia mentioned like in pink and blues and stuff like that so this is it do the public buy the story that natural diamonds bring and the uniqueness and the rarity um, or do they just uh, appreciate beautiful things and uh, that still has to be answered and and the answer for that question is is coming very quickly and, and, and things like Lightbox or if Signet come on board and make it very much a mass appeal market we'll find out pretty quickly I mean that actually goes to a big issue with the diamond industry right now are we starting to hear any sort of marketing push from the DPA or other industry organizations around the holidays yet? And I know it's still September, we're not there yet, but we're, we're moving in that direction. Yeah, look, I think we can only expect so much from the DPA. They are, they are active, they're advertising. I wish they'd advertise a little bit more at Rappaport, you know, you can't work for free. Call for <laughs> action here. <laughs> but, uh, you know... Insert the publisher's <laughs> contact detail, Jessica. The, the DPA can only do so much, and for sure they'll have campaigns, uh, you know, teed up for the holiday season. It's a big part of the market, but, you know, the sound of one hand clapping uh, isn't very strong or noticeable, so... It's not just up to the DPA. It's up to uh, jewelers, uh, dealers, and the industry at large to really focus in on that wonderful story that natural diamonds bring to the table. And, and that's what we're selling because if you don't have that, you know, there's no uh, noticeable difference uh, between synthetics. And I, I think we found out the FTC in the, in, in the US has come out and said, it, you know, n- natural diamonds and, and, and synthetic diamonds are 
diamonds. So all uh, natural and mined diamonds have on their side is that unique story and that rareness factor. And uh, we have to ensure that that is communicated and, and embraced by consumers. My understanding is that the DPA actually are, are not um, focusing their campaigns on, on seasonality. Um, that they their idea is to to have a consistent message um, directed at consumers, be it on social media, on targeted t- television campaigns or print campaigns, whatever it is, um, to get the idea of buying a diamond um, into the consumer's mindset. And then it would be up to the, the, the individual brands to sort of piggyback on that, um, I think, and, and your, your jewelers and diamond tears, you know, further along the, the line to piggyback on, those, um, on that constant messaging. So you know, it's a question of of whether they're being effective or not. Are, are we seeing a lot of um, that consistent messaging throughout the year? As John mentioned, it's a it's, it's a it's a longer term thing. They are having an event in at the Hong Kong show um, and unveiling more of their um, campaign in China. Um, that much I, I can tell you. Great. Well, it looks like there's a lot to look forward to this holiday season, both in the east and in the west. Thank you, Sonia. Always great insight. Thank you so much, David. I'm going to look for a recipe for apple and honey cake now. That's it. <laughs> hardly wait. Or if there are leftovers, of course. There will be. Sounds like. <laughs> and John, Avi, I know you two are headed off to the Hong Kong show uh, very soon. So safe travels. Thank you, John. Uh, great to have you here. Thank you. Fun as always. Uh, and thanks, Avi. Fantastic to hear from you. Thank you, David. Fantastic to be here, as always. Break an arm (laughs) (laughs) or an elbow. We need visual on the podcast. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll take a photo of Avi. For, um, just for our, for our listeners, listeners uh, Avi <laughs> fell off his bike and fractured his elbow, so he's uh, in a little bit of plaster here and uh, wrapped up snugly. The, the real story is that I was wrestling an alligator and tussling with whales to to quote um, Muhammad Ali <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I lost <laughs> so behave in Hong Kong you too <laughs> safe travels um, and thank you for listening to the Rappaport Diamond podcast if you enjoyed this and are looking for more diamond and jewelry industry insight check out Rappaport Academy where you can get to know your industry Also, don't miss this month's issue of Rappaport Magazine, where John has written the cover story exploring the most critical areas where the diamond industry is changing. And if you're looking for an edge for your diamond trading business, check out the Rappaport Research Report, Business Intelligence for the Diamond Industry. Come drop by Rappaport's booth, number 7P24 in Hong Kong, for a chance to meet John and Avi in person. For John, Sonia, Avi, and the whole Rappaport team, thanks for joining us. (music) 